You ain't heard nothing yet. Get around looking at the picture. What am I going to do? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make him an offer. You talking to me? Stay out of the train! I don't know who you are. Why so sick? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, I'm better. He's the Call me Mr. Boy's best friend. This is my boy. You have no style. You can bark all day, little dog. No one! Everyone! Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Hello, and welcome to the final Tinsel Factory of 2020. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. Well, we almost did it, everybody. 2020 is finally coming to an end. This week, we're going to go over the highlights of the film industry in 2020. It was a year. Yeah, it was definitely a year. We don't know how this year will end yet, but we certainly know how it started. So let's travel all the way back to January 1st, 2020. Personally, I spent January 1st with the worst hangover of my life. Not gonna lie, I ended up spooning a body pillow on the floor of my bathroom for most of that day. Little did I know, that feeling was going to metaphorically, and yes, more times than I'm proud to admit, literally, hang over the entire year. January 1st was a simpler time, save the catastrophic Australian bushfires and a little thing called the coronavirus having been officially confirmed the day before by Wuhan health officials, despite antibodies already being present in people in the United States. At some point that month, World War III almost started. Remember that? 2020 was never going to give us a chance to catch our breath. Anyway, with that, let's take our places for the last time this year. It's showtime. Hello and welcome to the 77th annual Golden Globe Awards, live from the Beverly Hilton Hotel here in Los Angeles. I'm Ricky Gervais, thank you. Um, you'll, you'll be pleased to know this is the last time I'm hosting these awards, so I don't care anymore. Um, I'm joking, I never did. Um, NBC clearly don't care either, fifth time. So, I mean, Kevin Hart was fired from the Oscars because of some offensive tweets. Hello. <laughs> Lucky for me, the Hollywood Foreign Press can barely speak English. And they've no idea what Twitter is. So I got offered this gig by fax. So let's go out with a bang. Let's have a laugh at your expense, shall we? Remember, they're just jokes. We're all going to die soon and there's no sequel. While this year started literally and figuratively on fire, the first major event in the film industry was one celebrating the year before, the 77th Golden Globe Awards. Each January through March for the last 30 years or so is typically referred to as award season in Hollywood. With several ceremonies taking place throughout this three-month period, it generally starts with the Golden Globes and culminates with the Academy Awards. During this time, awards of merit are given to film as well as television, though not at the Oscars. That's just film. The Golden Globes are voted on by members of the Hollywood Foreign Press, who, get this, are a group of about 90 foreign film critics. 
Comedian Ricky Gervais returned to host for the fifth time, and as he had in prior years, gave a polarizing performance due to his opening monologue and criticism of Hollywood, a clip of which you heard at the first break. Gervais would later take to Twitter to defend his jokes from the ceremony. That night, the Sam Mendes-directed war epic 1917 took home the award for Best Drama Film and Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for Best Musical or Comedy. Between the Golden Globes and the Academy Awards were eight major film ceremonies worldwide, including the 26th Annual Screen Actors Guild Awards, which focuses solely on the acting aspects of a film or television show. Bong Joon-ho's Parasite took the top film prize for that ceremony, the first non-English-speaking film to do so. There is also the 73rd Annual BAFTAs, commonly referred to as the British Oscars, where 1917 once again won Best Film. The grand finale for the year, the 92nd Academy Awards, were broadcast on February 9th, 2020. For the second year in a row, the telecast was presented without a host. It would be a momentous night for foreign film, as Parasite tied with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Fanny and Alexander as the most winningest foreign films for the Oscars. Parasite's director, Bong Joon-ho, also tied with Walt Disney for the most wins in one night. Disney had set this record back in 1954. Also that evening, Honeyland, a Macedonian documentary about a hermit beekeeper, became the first foreign film to be nominated in the Best Documentary and Best Foreign Film categories. Of course, the evening was topped off when Parasite became the first non-English-speaking film to win Best Picture. Now it's the question of coronavirus and the very real concern of people going to movie theaters. Do you guys have any concerns, any any idea of how that could affect theaters, box offices, Jason especially, um, as, a, as a producer and, and a distributor? Definitely have concerns that no one knows. We yeah. just don't know. So far it hasn't. Uh, in the U.S., it has in Italy, and uh, we just released uh, The Invisible Man, and we had to pull the release in Korea, and Italy did no business. We just don't know. But the answer to your question is, do you think about it and worry about it? Of course we do. I we mean, want people to see this movie and yeah. enjoy themselves, but safety first. Yeah. <laughs> like the, that's, most, that's like, the most true. important thing yeah, is yeah, like yeah, everyone yeah. is safe or at least yeah. feels safe. So. If we stop right there and ignore everything else that was happening in the world, it was looking to be quite a game-changing year for Hollywood. But everything came to a screeching halt a month after the Oscars, and things have pretty much remained the same since. The clip you heard at the break was producer Jason Blum discussing the effects of some of his concerns on the coronavirus during a press junket for The Hunt on March 6th. As COVID-19 began rapidly spreading and as facilities began shutting down in mid-March, when the theaters shut down, several recently released films like Disney Pixar's Onward, Universal's The Invisible Man, and Warner Brothers' Birds of Prey had already been released into theaters. These films, among many others, were not long after placed on VOD websites under the banner Theater at Home, something that continued as the year progressed. Onward was released onto Disney's streaming platform Disney Plus on April 3rd, as well as VOD. Even prior to the U.S. theaters, the largest cinema market in the world shutting down, films were already being pushed to later on in the year in other markets. The second largest cinema market, China, had already been shut down due to the coronavirus, so it didn't seem financially viable to release certain films to the smaller markets despite some theaters still being open in those territories. 
These delays affected international releases of several 2020 films, like Sonic the Hedgehog, which had been released in the U.S. on February 14th, but was delayed in China and Japan until the summer of 2020. The eventual release delays will affect films released up to 2028, but it's one of the Avatar sequels which have been delayed multiple times already for non-pandemic reasons, so, you know, eh. The first film that was officially delayed was the 25th James Bond film, No Time to Die. Originally pushed to later in 2020, the film has now been pushed a full year past its original theatrical release date. Other major films to eventually follow suit included The Jungle Cruise, A Quiet Place 2, Candyman, Death on the Nile, Fast and Furious 9, Jurassic World Dominion, you get it. Also, all of the Marvel movies were shifted accordingly, with the next release being Black Widow in May 2021, delayed from May 2020. Since the major studios typically have their release schedules laid out years in advance, this has caused shifts in several releases, while others were released as a VOD or on streaming services instead of a theatrical release. Disney films Artemis Fowl, Clouds, and Mulan premiered directly onto their streaming platform, though the latter was made available only for an additional fee initially. Other studio films found their way onto other streaming platforms like Netflix, who became the home for Enola Holmes and The Lovebirds. Apple TV got the Tom Hanks war film Greyhound. When some theaters began opening up in some of the U.S. and China later in 2020, certain films like The New Mutants, which for several different reasons, other than the fact that it's apparently abhorrently bad, had already been delayed for several years and the Christopher Nolan film Tenet were released to test the waters. We can skip talking about New Mutants. It didn't do well because the bad movie was bad. But let's take a deeper look at Tenet than we did last week. Since his Dark Knight trilogy, Christopher Nolan's films have started to garner a release fervor similar to that of Quentin Tarantino's. For example, when his film Interstellar was released in November 2014, theaters like AMC even offered a frequent viewer pass so audience members could have the option of seeing the film multiple times without breaking the bank. Nolan is adamant about his films being viewed in a theater, so it was no surprise that the three-time delayed film was not given the VOD treatment initially. The fact that it's also, at $200 million, Nolan's most expensive film to date, it's not a big surprise that Warner Brothers, whom serve as a co-production company and the distributors of the film, would want to make some of that sweet, sweet box office money. Internationally, the film made $300 million, which is a respectable amount. However, in the U.S., where Nolan's last film made $189 million in the U.S., this time it made a mere $57 million as of writing this episode, as only 65% of U.S. and Canadian cinemas were open and operating at only 25-40% to capacity. To give you an idea of how much the box office affects revenue for these films, theater tickets account for about 42% of a film's profits. For the first time ever, a Chinese film will end 2020 as the top earning movie for the year. Actually, China will take the top two spots. The war film The 800 and the anthology film My People, My Homeland made $475 million and $430 million, respectively, at the time of writing this episode at the box office. In total, five of the ten top-grossing films of the year are either Chinese or Japanese productions. This is also the first time in seven years since the first Frozen film, 
that a non-franchise film was the top-earning picture of the year. If you want to know what this might mean for the future of Hollywood, I suggest you check out my episode last week on the Spanish flu pandemic. On Hollywood Boulevard tonight, an eerie silence. Like most of Hollywood, it's gone dark thanks to the coronavirus. Summer blockbusters like Fast and Furious 9 and other major films will be delayed until next year. And even when production resumes, there are major challenges on the horizon. Bryn Sandberg is a senior writer with The Hollywood Reporter. You know, what's the new normal going to be? So a lot of the major studios in Hollywood, Disney, Warner Brothers, you know, Universal, um, are working with the leading guilds and unions, you know, the WGA, the DGA, SAG, which represents actors, to determine a new set of protocols that's going to make being on set safe. Another reason for film delays for 2020, it will come as no surprise, was the shutdown of productions in March in major outbreak zones. This caused productions to either change shooting schedules, shut down completely, or move to a different location altogether. The major headquarters for these studios responded accordingly as well, canceling all in-person meetings and shifting to a work-from-home format. Several productions, including the Tom Hanks Elvis biopic he was shooting in Australia and where he may have contracted COVID, was shut down. The entertainment industry is a global community, and without the proper setting for an office, many are experiencing burnout as their hours have increased exponentially, their homes and their office becoming one and the same. Even with modern technology, it's a lot easier to collaborate and make a film if you're all in the same place, and telecommuting is making it difficult to get things done in a timely manner. Once things settled slightly, in May 2020, the Association of Independent Commercial Producers released a set of guidelines to allow productions to restart while keeping people as safe as possible. Additionally, a task force of industry and union members assembled in early June with the goal of compiling a manual of sorts to allow productions to restart. These guidelines included regular testing, wearing face coverings at all times when not filming, actors practicing social distancing, quote, whenever possible, reducing or modifying scenes involving close contact, close sets, access zones, shooting limited 10-hour sessions, and all productions requiring an on-set health safety supervisor. It was also recommended that casting be performed via video conferencing rather than in person. Film and television production was allowed to resume in California on June 12th after Governor Gavin Newsom approved the 36-page report that had been created. The manual's guidelines have been pretty hit or miss so far, as members of the cast and or crew of The Batman, Jurassic World Dominion, and Don't Worry Darling have at some point had to shut down once again due to coronavirus concerns. Are you excited? Definitely I'm fired up. Yeah! Get into some trouble. Welcome to today. Breaking news tonight. Yes! Must be my lucky day. (laughs) You guys are gonna do great. 
to go to there. We've touched a little bit on streaming in this episode, but this year also saw the introduction of two new streaming platforms from the major studios. HBO Max, whose parent company is AT&T, was launched on May 27th. As of this week, the platform has about 12.6 million subscribers. At launch, Warner Media announced that the platform would have 10,000 hours of content and 2,000 films, including some from outside the company. HBO Max is also the home for programming from Warner Media-owned DC Entertainment, HBO, New Line Cinema, Turner Classic Movies, and of course Warner Brothers, amongst several other television networks. The platform has also released original content, the most notable film so far probably being The Witches, and An American Pickle. Also releasing on the platform on Christmas Day is Wonder Woman 1984, which will release concurrently on the streaming platform as well as cinemas. We'll discuss their most recent announcement later in the episode. The other major addition to the streaming world is Peacock, NBC Universal streaming platform, which launched on July 15th, currently boasts about 22 million subscribers. The reason it has more subscribers than HBO Max, despite coming out later, probably isn't a quality thing, but is more the fact that Peacock has a free subscription option, while HBO Max does not. While offering selections from the NBC Universal owned films, Lionsgate has licensed content for the platform, as has Viacom CBS, despite having their own streaming platform. As of the release of this episode, Peacock has released two original films Psych 2 Lassie Come Home and Curious George 5 Go West, Go Wild. So many pictures. Does it ever make him want to act again? Everything made me want to act again. But now, I look at lying in my bed and I see all my scripts across the room. And I need a movie. That's enough. This year, more than others, was a tragic year when it came to the loss of beloved members of the film community. I wanted to give a quick career and legacy of three of these icons that passed away this year. Before we were all confined to our homes, Hollywood legend Kirk Douglas passed away at the age of 103 on February 5th. Douglas was one of the last remaining movie stars of Hollywood's golden age, starring in films like Spartacus and The Bad and the Beautiful. Douglas was born Isser Danilovich Demsky in 1916, the son of an illiterate Russian-Jewish immigrant. Growing up in New York, the future actor had some 40-odd jobs before discovering the theater in high school. He studied in Manhattan alongside actress and classmate Laura Bacall, whom helped him procure his first movie role, The Strange Love of Martha Ivers. Despite suffering a stroke in 1996, the actor still managed to accept an honorary Oscar for his 50 years of creative and moral force for the motion picture community the same year. Douglas's influence goes far beyond movies, though he had a great deal of influence there. He was responsible for the revitalization of screenwriter Dalton Trumbo's career after he had been blacklisted during the HUAC trials when he hired him to pen Spartacus. This act would begin the dismantling of the Hollywood blacklist. Douglas was also a major philanthropist, supporting charities and organizations including the Los Angeles Children's Memorial Hospital and the Los Angeles Mission. He and his wife also rebuilt several L.A. County school playgrounds. 
He also received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Jimmy Carter in 1981 for traveling as a goodwill ambassador to meet Egyptian President Anwar Sadat. Retiring from acting in 2008, the actor spent his twilight years surrounded by family. This included his son Michael Douglas, as well as his wife of 65 years, Anne Douglas. Another icon of cinema, the last surviving cast member from Gone with the Wind, and the oldest living Academy Award winner, Olivia de Havilland passed away on July 26th at the age of 104. Born in Tokyo on July 1st, 1916, the future actress was born to an actress mother and an English professor father who was teaching at the Imperial University in Tokyo City when de Havilland was born. De Havilland gained her cinematic immortality early in her career when she co-starred in Gone with the Wind at the age of 23. Her portrayal of Melanie Hamilton in the film would earn her her first Academy Award nomination. While she was typecast in her early career as a shy, reserved young woman, the real de Havilland was anything but. De Havilland rose to stardom during the studio system when actors like her were held to incredibly restrictive contracts. The actress was under contract at Warner Brothers and was tired of playing these sweet, innocent roles, which were all that Warner would offer her. When her contract with Warner ended in 1943, she was informed by the studio that she actually had six months left, a penalty for denying roles. Instead of rolling over, Haviland did something several others, including Betty Davis, whom had taken on Warner and lost, had only dreamed of doing. She sued Warner, citing a violation of labor laws. Over the course of two trials, de Havilland won her case and became what Variety called at the time a free agent. The case and ruling is now known as the de Havilland Law, and it affected not only the film industry, but all employees in the state of California. Now free? De Havilland took on the roles she was striving for, including The Snake Pit, in which she played an institutionalized young woman. Olivia left Hollywood soon after for Paris, where she would live out the rest of her days. She would return to cinema here and there over the years, but by her mid-40s, she had more or less retired. She made a handful of additional films, including Airport 77, and appeared in her last film in 1979. The actress lived out her days in the same townhome she'd owned in Paris, since 1958. The most shocking entertainment death of 2020 is probably, of course, Chadwick Boseman, whom passed away at the age of 43 from a previously unannounced four-year battle with colon cancer. Boseman was actively going through cancer treatments for the majority of his mainstream career, including Black Panther. His death was met with shock throughout the industry as the actor had kept his diagnosis secret to even those he worked with. Chadwick was born on November 29, 1976, in Anderson, South Carolina, to a nurse and a textile worker. The actor, who preferred to be called an artist, was a multi-hyphenate from the early days of his eventual career, penning and performing his first play when he was just a junior in high school. While his original career aspirations were to write and direct, he started to study acting as a way to learn how to communicate with actors. This led to him catching the acting bug, and he moved from New York to Los Angeles in 2008 to pursue acting. After several years of television work, Bozeman broke out in the film 42, in which he played Jackie Robinson. This would not be the only time he would play a historical figure. He portrayed James Brown in the biopic Get On Up and Thurgood Marshall in Marshall. 
The role that made Bozeman a household name, of course, was as T'Challa, a.k.a. Black Panther, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The character's solo film became the first superhero movie to receive a Best Picture Oscar nomination. While he is no longer with us, Chadwick's final performance is in the upcoming Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which may provide the actor with posthumous award nominations come award season. In the film, the actor plays Levy, an ambitious trumpet player. There's something happening. In the next year, Warner Brothers Pictures is bringing you the biggest premiere. So this is the Suicide Squad. In theaters and streaming exclusively on HBO Max. The exact same day. With the what now? and streaming on HBO Max beginning December 25th. With the future of the movie theater and its prevalence in entertainment currently in jeopardy, some studios have taken steps to ensure their dominance in entertainment. Warner Brothers announced on December 3rd that 17 of their 2021 theatrical releases, including Dune and The Matrix 4, will be released on streaming the same day as the film's theatrical release. While this will certainly be more convenient for consumers, this decision has been met with derision from much of Hollywood, as well as the CEO of AMC Theatres and Warner Brothers darling Christopher Nolan. Adam Aron, the CEO of AMC, in a calmer reaction than the one he had earlier in the year with the announcement of Universal Studios' decision to do something similar, released a statement to the media saying that an urgent dialogue was, quote, already commencing with the leadership of Warner on this subject. In a less amicable statement, Christopher Nolan ripped into Warner, stating that, quote, some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out they were working for the worst streaming service. Mank, it's Orson Welles. Houseman tells me we have you just where we want you. I understand we've 90 days. Let's aim for 60. He's just got a month. LB, this is my brother, Joe. Nice to meet you, Joseph. Walk with me. What makes me cry? Emotion. Where do I feel emotion? Here, here, and here. <laughs> ah, nerds. What's nerds? Nerds is Brooklynese for nuts. Jeepers. Any other year, this is usually when all the big films for the award shows release, and that's always fun to speculate about what movie is going to get what award, but like many things this year, that's not happening. Due to all of the delays of film releases, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has expanded the eligibility period for the 93rd Annual Academy Awards to February 28th, 2021. The ceremony itself has been delayed as well to April 25th, 2021, which will also coincide with the opening weekend of the Academy Award Museum. Normally, for a film to be eligible to be nominated for an Oscar, the film must run in at least one Los Angeles County theater for at least seven days in a row, with at least three screenings per day to be eligible, but movie theaters in Los Angeles haven't been open since March. 
The Academy has made adjustments to this rule, which will only be in place for the 2021 ceremony. For this, the film must have been originally planned to have a theatrical release and must also be uploaded to the AMPA's screening service within 60 days of its public release. When asked if the Oscars plan on doing a virtual ceremony like the Primetime Emmys did back in September, a representative for the Academy said that an in-person ceremony, quote, will happen. So, we're getting an Oscar ceremony next year at the very least. But what films are likely to be nominated? Well, it's looking like yet another big year for the biopics. According to Variety, the films likely to snatch up all the noms this year are Netflix films The Trial of the Chicago 7, a legal drama about a trial against a group of anti-Vietnam protesters, Mank, a biopic on the screenwriter of Citizen Kane, Herman J. Mankiewicz, Hollywood loves to give awards to films about themselves, and finally, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, a film based on a play by the same name, that tells the story of real-life Mother of Blues, Ma Rainey, and a fateful recording session in 1927. Since Netflix's film releases were only going to be released to satisfy the bare minimum in theaters to be eligible anyway, and their films don't rely on the box office to recoup costs, it's likely going to be a nice year for Netflix come award season. This is also true for Amazon, but this whole year has been pretty damn good for Amazon anyway, so why would anything change? Variety's top contenders include their film, One Night in Miami, which is a fictionalized account about Cassius Clay, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown, and the real night the four spent in a Miami hotel room. Variety's current top pick for a potential Best Picture nominee is Nomadland, which is based on a book by Jessica Bruder and tells the story of a woman in her 60s who embarks on a journey through the American West after losing everything in the 2008 recession. Additional picks include Minari, a film from A24 about a Korean family and their life on an Arkansas farm, On the Rocks, another A24 release about a young mother and her New York adventure with her aging playboy father, The Father, a Sony Pictures classic film on a relationship of an aging father and his daughter, News of the World, a universal picture period film which takes place in a post-Civil War Texas, and Judah and the Black Messiah, a film dealing with a mole within the Illinois Black Panther Party. The one thing I did notice when looking at these picks is the huge influx of female directors, which is exciting. Nomadland, On the Rocks, and One Night in Miami were all directed by women. Maybe this year we'll see a couple female directors nominated for the Best Director category instead of the token one. I mean, it won't happen, but a girl can dream, right? There is nothing like the sight of an amputated spirit. There is no prosthetic for that. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. We don't go out anymore. Slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller and all we say is just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. Now you can either accept that or you can get to work. Get busy living or get busy dying. The night is darkest just before the dawn. I promise you, the dawn is coming. It is with passion, courage of conviction, that we take our next steps into the world. What is it? The sky! Awesome! We must find a way to look after one another. To live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. And it may sound easy, but nothing could be harder. Today 
ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. So your story does have a happy ending. Well, that's up to you. And that's it for, well, this year. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media, where I also post photos for each episode and have been working on getting better about doing daily posts as well. At Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, at Tinsel underscore Factory on Twitter, on Facebook at the Tinsel Factory, or if you have any questions, you can always email me at tinselfactorypod at gmail.com. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out for the time being. So if you could rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. I am at the mercy of the algorithms. Hell, even share it with your friends and family over the holidays. They need stuff to do. We're all locked down again. In order to keep making this podcast, I've also set up a support page, the link of which you can find in the show notes. Think of it as my virtual starving artist tip jar. This will also allow me to keep making episodes as well as being able to acquire better equipment down the line. If you'd like to help out in any way, I'd very much appreciate it. I've also got merch. Check it out at the link in the show notes. I've got some cute designs and I'm hoping to have a few more added by the end of the year. The Tinsel Factory will be back with the first series looking at the jobs of people in the industry, starting with January 3rd's episode, which will be all about the individual with the vision, the director. If you have any questions you'd like answered about this job or any others, make sure you reach out and I'll do my best to answer them in the episode. Have a great holiday season celebrating whatever it is you're celebrating. Be safe, be smart, and for the love of God, don't catch the Rona. Thanks again for listening, and until 2021, that's a wrap. Oh.